All right. Uh, good evening, everyone. Thank you for coming. Uh, I realize we're competing against a pub crawl right now, so I really appreciate everyone uh, showing up for our AWS reInvent talk. Uh, migrating millions of video content files to the cloud using AWS Snowball. Uh, my name is Greg Luce. I'm the CTO at Wazi Digital. I'm joined by my colleague, Brian Naker, who's VP of Information Systems and Services at Wazi Digital, as well as Rashim Gupta, who is a product manager with uh, AWS Snowball and Glacier. Should I wait? Oh, they're coming. Fantastic. All right, before I get into the deep dive discussion about our video content project and migrating these millions of high-res broadcast quality media files to the cloud, I want to share just a little bit of story uh, about our journey and what you'll hear a little bit from us today. Uh, we started as a company about 15 years ago as a pure cloud service offering in our own colo facilities that we built. So this was well before AWS was, was even a thing. Uh, we really were founded on the principle of unlocking our content rights holders uh, content that literally was sitting on dusty shelves. Uh, we still have thousands of old tape reels and, and tape formats in every possible variety that we digitized, we ingested, we clipped, we tagged with metadata, and made available for monetization purposes. Um, at, uh, excuse me. What we found is that our, our throughput was measured in weeks and months. It took a long time to kind of perform this archiving project. Uh, but we ended up with about 200,000 clips that we were able to monetize. And at the end of this, we really evolved into a pretty fantastic platform that we were able to help uh, use to offer to other customers in the M&E space. Fast forward to where we are now, and we've gone from about 200,000 files to over 10 million video files that we're currently managing. And we have a multi-petabyte content library that we're, uh, that we're storing in this uh, Wyoming uh, data facility. So we really kind of arrived at a decision point do we continue on with this dual environment where we have a data facility in, in uh, Cheyenne, Wyoming, and, and AWS, or do we migrate and go all in on AWS? And I think you may know the answer. We decided to go all in on AWS, and, and that's what we'll share with you as we continue today. Um, this decision was really aided by kind of a tipping point of service availability, not only with AWS product offerings, but also with the vendor and, and uh, the vendor partner network that AWS supports. So um, with that, I'll turn it over to Rashim, who will talk a little bit about Snowball. Thanks, Greg. Uh, hi, everybody. My name is Rashim Gupta. I'm a product manager here at Snowball and Glacier. And I think uh, we thought about, the first thing we should talk about is what is Snowball, why did we build it? And uh, you can uh, understand a little bit about products in our portfolio, and then we can learn more about how Wazi uses that. So uh, Snowball, primarily there are three reasons why we built it. Firstly, uh, more and more, there are more and more applications and sensor devices on premises that are generating data. And this data needs to be moved to the cloud where you can use services that AWS offers to do uh, machine learning, data mining, things like that. But that's a challenge. How do you transfer data to the cloud? While you can use, uh, you can transmit it over the wire, you really need 
either a high bandwidth network, which is A, expensive, uh, and not only that, even if you do have that, uh, you still need to, uh, it is still, you still need to A, pay for it and have to build around protocol inefficiencies. If you don't have this high-speed bandwidth, it can take you from weeks to even months to transmit this data to AWS. So uh, that's where Snowball can help you. Number two, there are a lot of customers who use, uh, who have applications running either in offline mode or like disconnected mode, where it's, where it's sometimes it's not possible to even connect to the cloud. And so they're running their own on-premise infrastructure. Um, and so we heard from a lot of customers that if, if we could have some storage and compute on-premise, that would help them. Snowball can help you there as well. And finally, before Snowball even existed, the only way to bring data on-premise data to the cloud was sending your own hard disks, which is a lot of steps from a customer. You have to <clears throat> firstly package it, you have to encrypt it, and then you have to label it and ship it. It's a lot of steps, um, and we've, customers always ask us if there's a better way. So with that, uh, let's look at, we built our Snow, Snow family of products, which consists of Snowball, Snowball Edge, and Snowmobile. And we're gonna do a quick deep dive on each one of them. Uh, Snowball is primarily a petabyte scale data migration platform. Uh, Snowball Edge allows you to run both, uh, it allows you to do both data migration as well as edge computing. And Snowmobile is an exabyte scale data migration uh, service, which is primarily used for data center migration. So <clears throat> let's focus on Snowball. So if you have to use Snowball uh, today, the way to use Snowball is you would go to the console, AWS console, and you would not buy this device. Instead, you would create a Snowball job and say, I need to order a Snowball, and, I need to, and you would put in your address where this should be shipped to, and the S3 bucket where data should finally land. We do all the, we load all the software such that when the device is shipped to you and comes to you, it acts like it's, an, it's being copied to an S3 bucket. And from that point on, you can copy the data using AWS tools into the device. Um, it's all encrypted, so you don't even have to worry about encryption. You can add encryption, we will encrypt it again. Uh, and uh, it's pretty like rugged and dust resistant, so you don't have to worry about the device being destroyed. And even if someone does open it, since it's encrypted and the keys are not on the device, nobody can actually get a hold of your data. Uh, so, <clears throat> and then once you're done loading the data, you can just power it off, and the label has the return address automatically. So you don't have to label anything. It automatically reaches to AWS. Once we scan the label, we know which bucket the data needs to reside. So the key point here is it's super easy to transmit data, uh, transfer data to AWS. This was launched at reInvent 2015, very popular with our customers. Uh, it was used by a lot of customers in remote locations, which is what I was talking about. And then the next feed feedback we heard is, this is great, but we run our own compute infrastructure on the edge. Is there any way you could add some compute capability? So last year at reInvent 2016, we introduced Snowball Edge, where we added compute capability inside the device in addition to storage. So there's 100 terabyte of local storage uh, on the device, and there is a compute chip. You can also cluster these devices together to have like a bigger Snowball uh, Edge. Um, in addition, it runs Lambda on it, so you can do some pre-processing uh, before loading the device or, or, or post-processing once the data has been copied. Um, Finally, uh, it does have, because there's a compute chip in it, it, it has an S3 endpoint running. Uh, so even if you have like a Snowball Edge sitting on premises and it's running in an offline mode, uh, your S3 applications can connect to Snowball uh, and, uh, you, and still copy data using the S3 commands. 
because it pretends like it's an S3 endpoint. So this is very powerful because you can use the same tools that you would use against the cloud that you can use with the Snowball. There's also an NFS endpoint that's available with Snowball Edge. Uh, <clears throat> so t uh, finally, Snowmobile. This was announced last year. Uh, <clears throat> if for customers who want to migrate an entire data center to AWS, uh, Snowball and Snowball Edge are great products, but you would still require like dozens to hundreds of them, and it just becomes too unwieldy. So once you reach the 10 petabyte plus range, uh, we can talk about you know, uh, using Snowmobile uh, to transfer your data to AWS. And the way this works is uh, we work pretty hand in hand once we, uh, for a Snowmobile engagement, we will do like, a, uh, we do a site survey to make sure you're set up to uh, hook up to a Snowmobile, and uh, data is transferred via multiple 40 gigs networks. Everything is encrypted, and within a few weeks, your data can come back to AWS. So with that, I'm going to hand it back to Greg to talk more about how Wazi uses Snow, Snow products. Thanks, Rashan. Has anyone seen a snowmobile? I don't, I don't know if it looks like that. Rashan did, didn't know either. Um, I wouldn't think it would have to be that large, but uh, it's still fairly intriguing. Uh, so Wazi did a little bit about us. We build uh, cloud-based software to help manage, store, and distribute content, video content. This is done for large M&E companies as well as large sports properties around the world. Um, again, founded on this belief that the rights owners need to find every rightful audience member for their content. And we truly believe in putting control back into the hands of our rights holders and giving them the tools to, in order to do that. Uh, we do this with three product offerings. Uh, Wazi Digital Core, which is our cloud-native asset management and workflow management tool. Um, Digital Media Hub, so this is what we use during live sporting events, uh, whether we're on-site helping manage that or uh, customers are doing it on their own. So this is a way to capture, process, and distribute kind of this quick-turn content that's uh, really part of a live sporting environment. And finally, Commerce, so this is kind of our original use case of uh, monetization of a customer's content. So this is done for um, to filmmakers, documentarians, and uh, news agencies. To build a little bit more scope around the, the problem that we're trying to solve, so again, we're managing over 10 million or close to 10 million assets. This translates to about 25 million unique video renditions in our system, and every month we're processing 15,000 hours of video and 750,000 transcodes. We do this for about 400 different content libraries, so it's, it's a pretty vast scale, and as, as you might imagine, this is not getting any smaller anytime soon. So here's just a smattering of some of the customers we've been privileged to work with over the years. So in addition to sports and news and studios, we also deal with brands and agencies, again, in our licensing business uh, to make content available for commercials and, and, and those purposes. So a little bit more about Wazi Digital Core. Um, so this is a product that really simplifies complex media workflows. So we uh, discover a customer's media library. We process it through a pretty powerful ETL engine to extract technical and descriptive metadata. And then we move that along to a transcode management layer. The result, it ends up in our, in our software, in our database, and it's a, a user interface that a customer can search and discover and, and distribute that content to their users. It was really founded on the principle of control, permission, and security. So although it's a, a multi-tenant platform, it's very secure so that only users see what they're supposed to see. 
Uh, Digital Media Hub, again, this is what we use in sports environments. So at, at a sporting event, there's a tremendous amount of content being generated. There's scenics and behind the scenes features, uh, pressers, in addition to the, the game and, and match footage. So we built the ability to capture that content on site and get it out of the compound in a, in a quick manner. Um, we use Snowball for that. Uh, we also go over the wire. The result it ends up in, in our core product and our, our new digital media platform, um, which allows our sports properties to make that content available to their uh, global rights holders, sponsors, partners, uh, as well as general media members. And finally, WASI Digital Commerce. Again, this is our monetization strategy. So uh, if you're a 30-30 producer for ESPN looking to create a documentary on Christian Leitner, you would likely want to use NCAA March Madness footage. So we work, uh, kind of provide that liaison between that producer and the NCAA to, to broker not only the footage availability, but also the rights and clearances associated with the athletes and, and talent associated with those broadcasts. So uh, we like to think we were cloud before cloud was cool, uh, before cloud was a thing. So again, we started 15 years ago. So the cloud and, and software as, as a service really wasn't an option uh, back, back then. So um, we built our own. So we built uh, two data centers in, in Wyoming. We bought scanners and tape libraries and tape and transcoders and database and servers, and we, we rolled our own. Um, and it worked pretty well. Again, it supported this commerce licensing business as well as being able to start offering this platform as a service to other entities. So fast forward a little bit to 2011. So we, we, heard, we heard about the exabyte strategy. And so again, in 2011, we were thinking about this exabyte problem and what an exabyte center would, would do and, and realized just quickly how costly and, and complex something like that would be. In 2012, we really started seeing our first S3 use case, and I'll share a little bit more about our Bloomberg uh, media use case. And we really quickly decided that building our own data center of this magnitude was really not a viable option. 2013, we became part of the reseller program. Uh, by 2015, we decided that two data centers in Wyoming and, and a, a building uh, or a growing data center in AWS was not super viable, so we consolidated to two. And by last year, we had really started uh, development on our next generation uh, native AWS compute architecture, um, as well as really honed and refined that ingest uh, discovery ETL process. So uh, Bloomberg Media is, is a great example of our first uh, AWS Amazon S3 use case. Um, Bloomberg has correspondents all over the world generating a lot of content every single day, high, um, high turn media content that needs to get distributed. Uh, for those familiar with the Bloomberg terminal, it's a, a great way to syndicate and distribute text content, but they didn't have a great way to syndicate text and video content. So what we helped build for them was a process whereby they push content to S3. At the time, we used Lambda to discover that content and process it through our engine. Uh, we built a website for them that allowed their subscribers to download and access content. Right now, we have over a million assets under management for them. They're adding about 13,000 media files a month, and their subscribers are downloading about 25,000 assets a month. Our first application use case, again, what we, what we started last year and have, are continuing to hone now, is 
our, uh, what we call our crux architecture. So we had a, a few uh, goals when we were building this architecture. One, we wanted a fantastic user experience, so we really wanted to focus on that uh, user experience and building purpose-built applications. Um, two, we wanted it to be, uh, you know, uh, adhere to the tenets of service-based uh, architecture and, and building the, the proper components that would allow for uh, uh, a scalable architecture, again, all built on the AWS products. Um, and, and third, we wanted to build once and, and use many. We have a little bit of a legacy of, of, of some custom code bases, and we really wanted to get away from that. Um, and largely, we were able to achieve that through um, API Gateway, CloudFront S3, EC2. We've been able to build a, a real scalable architecture on, on the AWS framework. So what led to our decision to, to go all in on AWS? Um, it was quickly becoming apparent that our M&E customers were already storing their content on S3. So our ability to be able to discover their content, allow them to leave it in place was, was pretty fantastic. Last year we added 500 terabytes to our storage, which um, I believe was double what we had added the year before. And uh, before we made this decision to, to go all in and migrate from our data center, um, we, we have one little over one petabyte already sitting in S3. Uh, during our digital media uh, hub projects, we found we were increasingly using uh, the AWS components. So snowballs were super important for us to be able to capture content, send it right from site, and have content up in our platform within a week. Again, we used to take hard drives, and it would take us weeks and months to get that content restored in our platform. Um, as well as sending content over the wire. And um, at a tennis event in, in August and September, we pushed 70 terabytes of content over two weeks, and that all got moved over, discovered, and uh, was available in, in, a, in a pretty decent SLA within two to four hours in, in many cases. And again, our more modern application architecture. So why did we decide to do this? Um, a number of things that we'll talk about. Uh, managing dual data centers is not super cost effective. Uh, managing a private data center that's more sysadmin oriented is much, much different than managing a data center in AWS. Um, with a limited staff, that became uh, costly for them to maintain, as well as just the sheer out-of-pocket cost to, to all the vendors. Uh, again, we really did feel like we reached a tipping point with the service offerings. Um, Snowball, Glacier, uh, were all huge advancements for us to be able to feel comfortable to to, to move, as well as third-party offerings from uh, Elemental and Telestream Cloud, Aspera, et cetera, really helped us kind of reach that tipping point. Uh, we were faced with a CapEx problem. We needed to refresh the infrastructure, and, and that's costly, as, as you know, and, and we decided to put those costs elsewhere and, and go to more of a uh, OpEx model. We were really excited about being able to turn our kind of traditional IT sysadmin resources into more of a DevOps uh, unit and really integrate them with the business and the development team and kind of switch, switch their focus from some of the routine sysadmin maintenance tasks to something that was a little bit more strategic for the company. Uh, clearly, scalability, uh, redundancy, multi-geography were super important. We can't continue to scale at the growth we were by adding blades and boxes and tapes. It, it was something that uh, was just not real feasible. So that scalability was super important to us. Uh, clearly, uh, AWS is the preferred option in, in our space. And uh, through the various programs that 
AWS offered, we were able to get a cost-neutral migration, so be able to, uh, to receive credits to kind of cover those six to eight months where we were really in both environments. I won't go through this in detail, um, but this is just an example of some of the services we're using, EC2 uh, clearly for all of our compute capacity. Snowball, again, uh, Brian will go into a lot more details how we're taking 4.1 petabytes and, and moving it in a, in a four to six month time frame. But that also became really important for us onboarding new customers. So being able to take a new customer and, and have them send a snowball or send them a snowball and, and to restore content there, it's really eased our onboarding process. Um, S3, again, super part, critical part of, of this and, and all the various storage tier, tier availability. And then SQS and SNS, so we've moved, my, moved away from Lambda to more of an SNS uh, discovery, but being able to discover content, push that to message queues for our, our software to, to, to continue to process it. And again, some of these uh, third party, the, the, the vendor network that uh, AWS nurtures has been super important. So from the transcoding side, AWS Elemental and Telstream Cloud and, and Zencoder uh, for our video transcoding and then Aspera and Signiant for that uh, file acceleration for these, these super large media files. So what we're undertaking now is a dual migration path. Um, the, the bottom layer is our content migration, so being able to take that, that the millions of videos um, and using both the Snowball product as well as AWS Direct Connect to migrate that content in a, in a fairly compressed time frame, um, as well as migrating all of our compute resources, so all of our web servers and database servers and, and um, compute utility services. So finishing our timeline, uh, 2017 saw us uh, really achieve parity with this cloud-native transcoding so that we felt comfortable shutting down our transcoding farm in, in our data centers. Uh, being able to really take advantage of the Snowball product offering and figure out how we were going to actually pull off this, this feat of moving this amount of content with, uh, as I should have said, although Brian will mention it, with no downtime. I mean, we're still running the business. To, um, a snowball uh, or a snowmobile is really not an option for us. We had to continue to run the business. And we started this migration project. Um, so 2018 will be about finishing uh, the story and being in the new environment. With that, I will turn it over to Brian. Thank you, Greg. All right, so now that we, as a company, had decided that we're all in, um, now it was becoming to me to actually make it happen. So. Let's take a look at what we're up against. Um, so we had about four and a half petabytes of data that we had to deal with, and this uh, ended up being about two and a half million uh, actual discrete files. Uh, spread this across about 6,000 tapes that feed into our library, um, and you've got a lot of data to deal with. At the same time, we're also looking at uh, active ingest of about 60 terabytes of new content per month. On top of that, this same system in this location is also uh, uh, restoring about 200 terabytes a month. So the system's fairly busy, and we had to deal with that. So the challenges that we uh, came across that we determined were, you know, obviously we needed to keep the uh, existing infrastructure um, up and running and, and working to support our production workflows. So all of our SLAs uh, and quality assurance and all that needed to be at the same level as we had. The HSM system that we, we run is tape-backed, as, as we noted, 
with a, a SAN cache in front of it. So a typical HSM type of um, software hardware stack. But you know, our system had been, you know, was, was getting on in age and we had to you know, make the decision, do you put any more money into replacing that or run the risk of trying to upgrade that for a, a three to four month period of time um, just to then abandon that later. Um, but we knew that this was probably going to be our main bottleneck and had to deal with that. We done, we certainly utilize over the wire transfer um, and WAN acceleration on top of that. You know, we deal with very large files, so that's kind of a must in this, in our industry. But, uh, you know, to do this amount of data, it was really going to be cost prohibitive and from a timing perspective just wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't work. Um, on top of all that, these are our clients' valuable assets. And so we determined that we, we needed to do a per file uh, validation across, um, you know, two million files, two and a half million files. So uh, a lot of work there to ensure that whatever comes out of the tape library that had been, you know, in there for, you know, potentially over a decade needed to have assurances that when it got into to the Amazon space that it was still the asset that the client gave us. And then lastly, as always, we had a pretty tight, tight timeline to finish the project. So it was about six to seven months in terms of um, what we had facing us relative to contract decisions and, and renewals and that, that sort of thing. So um, pretty aggressive relative to what we um, were, were used to. So internally, the business needed to uh, take the, the following considerations under account. Um, and, and I say the business because this is where we really had to get consensus from you know, all, all aspects of the business, finance, account management, operations, technical, uh, and engineering, um, just to come up with the right direction that we, we work here. So does everything migrate? You know, like I said, we've got you know, probably about 15 years of overall content aggregation that we've been utilizing in this, in this particular location. Uh, a lot of this content started out in, with SD, uh, has moved on to HD, and you know we're starting to see, um, you know, traces of, of newer 4K and beyond. But uh, you know, are the clients going to want to continue to uh, maintain some of these older products? Uh, is, has there been anything that has gone stale and is no longer a value and you know can't be monetized? Which is the basis of you know not only our business but our clients' use of our, our platform. Uh, from a business perspective, do we prioritize? Uh, the restores by client or ultimately by efficiency. So this is where you might have account management saying, I've got a contract renewal coming up or I've got uh, a sporting event where we're gonna have a lot of utilization coming up. And then you've got those on my, my side, the technical side that are saying, well, I need to make sure that I don't floor the system you know, by just trying to pull everything out uh, in a very inefficient manner. Do we do this incrementally or do we do it all, all at once? So this kind of speaks to the product line choice for the snowball, um, the snow product line to, to say, you know, what, what goes into that decision and what are the risks there? As I noted that we also are bringing in about 60 terabytes of new content a month. You know, with, with companies, you guys probably all deal with this, what do, what do you do with your resources? You know, do you, you have them spend time on transitioning all this new content directly into Amazon? or do you have it transfer back into your existing on-premise uh, location and you know, find out that you have to come back to it after the fact and just deal with it there. Um, so we had to take that under consideration. Logistics, you know, this as a, a six-month project, we have to kind of maintain the logistics of this and make sure that 
uh, all teams are, are working uh, together and that we know that every file that, you know, leaves, that is in the system has to actually get up into Amazon. And then obviously, how do you handle issues? They're gonna happen, uh, it's a long project, a uh, lot of files, a lot of data, so um, we just had to come together as a, a business to, to look at that. So this leads us into our design and our approach. Um, so first and foremost, we needed to organize our supplier content. Um, we, we put a lot of effort and uh, imported all the content into you know, a pretty robust tracking system, so that could be the center point for every, everyone's use, whether it be legal or finance, you know, operations or technical. We did decide that there was some value into purging some assets, and so communicating that to the clients, of course, um, you know, went through the effort, uh, again, of uh, putting burden on the system to purge some of that content. We opted to use Amazon's organizations and create individual uh, AWS accounts for every one of our clients versus doing an aggregate uh, methodology, and we thought that that was probably better for security and for um, uh, isolation and, and the potential to help clients onboard and offboard content to us. Um, and then this all leads into the fact that, you know, ultimately we, we get ourselves a migration pool that we can, we can leverage and utilize. So from there, then we have to uh, prepare the storage migration options. So obviously, you know, what we're here uh, doing is, you know, talking about the snow, the snow product that we chose here. Um, so had to make that decision then set up, you know, dedicated connectivity in our data center to ensure that, you know, we could use the systems um, over a long period of time and rotate them through uh, as necessary. And then obviously uh, coordinate the supply chain to make sure that we had enough of, you know, the snowball resources coming in that we, we never uh, ran dry or never went idle. Um, from there, obviously, now that we have the design, send that over to the development crew and let them work on the automation. Um, run a pilot to make sure that all of our assumptions are, actual, um, are actually doing what we think they're going to do, and then, you know, obviously execute the plan. That last point seems to be fairly obvious, but getting everybody to have consensus about the fact that you're ready to go is actually, you know, quite a, quite a thing, and, and it can, you know, take some time to accomplish. So here's uh, a bit of an overview about the migration architecture that we uh, implemented. So obviously we've got you know, a very large tape robotic library, um, everything from LTO tape to T10,000 tape. Uh, and so we, by making some of the choices that we did in terms of stopping the incoming content and pushing that direct to Amazon, we, we had the ability to free up enough resources that we wouldn't have impact into our production, um, our production workload. So uh, we chose uh, off the bat to use about five enterprise tape drives to start offloading. Um, uh, as I said, this is an HSM, so it front ends to a cache. Uh, the cache was about 90 terabytes of SAN, um, uh, three, three LUNs of about 300 megabytes. And the reason that's uh, significant is, is that we had to kind of determine what our pace was built off of how much of that performance we could leverage for production workflow for writing tapes to the disk and then writing disk, uh, disk to disk um, when we read off that. 90 terabytes was about right. We figured about 30 terabytes a day was our, our target. So having the ability to have one or two days of active content in that cache uh, as it transfers off was, was uh, where we were looking at. Um, utilizing SAN clients that obviously have fiber connection to the SAN and then uh, 10 gig uh, NFS uh, connectivity on the, the out, outside um, helped us uh, um, pull all that content into our work in progress storage or our WIP. 
Uh, that way up again, you'll see this uh, is relatively arrayed 10, which we found was probably the most optimal uh, format for us in terms of reading and writing. Uh, 100 terabytes again, relative to the ability to um, have three or four days of content migrating in and out. And then again, uh, from the SAM perspective, really utilizing 10 gig NFS transfers to, uh, to support it. Here is where we did a validation step where, again, a single system, 10 gig connected, allowed uh, us to rapidly go through all the assets and, and do um, a media validation check on them. From there, with the fact that we were actually uh, looking at also exiting this data center and our full migration out of Amazon, we found that we had a lot of commodity hardware that we could utilize. So a scalable architecture that we started off ultimately with four Linux boxes, um, uh, 10 gig on the, on the uh, reads from the, uh, the whip, and then not to um, you know, burst my own bubble on the next slide, you know, utilizing the Snowball client on the outset to write to the Snowballs. Um, so this, this format seemed to work pretty well for us when all is said and done. So that, says, that said, the next step was obviously choose your, choose your product, choose your weapon. Um, so we, we ended up choosing the, the Snowball, the AWS Snowball. Why didn't we choose the Snowmobile? You know, I think everybody that I've heard mention the Snowmobile here, you know, everybody wants to use it, everybody wants to take selfies in front of it. You know, they, they uh, um, are really excited about it. But, you know, when all said and done, we felt it just wasn't quite right for us. Um, we weren't quite at that exabyte level. We, th we thought that we had a lot of data, but we didn't need that much. Um, we also knew that we were bottlenecked at that SAN and that, you know, incrementally pulling off that SAN uh, would make it to where we would have that snowmobile for, you know, months at a time, which is probably not feasible. Um, and then, most importantly, we did also find that uh, with all the work we had done to set up the Amazon architecture, uh, we could immediately get value out of getting people's content in early and often. Uh, we could leverage the scalability and the distribution and, and the storage and the cost benefit and all that. So. Um, it, it certainly made sense to uh, do it incrementally and not do it in one big shot. Why not the AWS Snowball Edge? Um, the, the key here was that ultimately we couldn't, at the time that we had implemented this, we couldn't really leverage some of the advanced features that we were looking for. Um, you know, it was nice that we had multiple buckets that you could utilize, whereas the Snowball could only be tied to a single bucket in S3. Um, but we had made that choice of distributing all of our content to different accounts, and so relatively we had single buckets in all those accounts. Um, from the NFS uh, feature set that the Snowball Edge uh, provided, that was really exciting because it would make it more uh, seamless to just kind of integrate an NFS mount and copy the files to it. At the time, I think the, si the file size limit for um, NFS off the Snowball Edge was about two gig. And though that has increased uh, extensively, I think it's about 150 gig now um, with the firmware on the Snowball Edge, uh, which actually is quite interesting. Um, for us, our problem is that our files scale from you know, 500 meg to 800 gig in size for a single file. So we had to make the decision that, you know, to go with uh, what worked best. Um, that all said, I will say that the Snowball Edge will have its day. I think what we talked about, some of this digital media hub, this edge compute opportunity, I think this is a really good, uh, this is a really good unit to actually go there. And, and they can, with all the firmware updates and such that they're doing, they're continuing to improve the performance and, and scalability of that unit. And obviously the capacity is, has its own value. Um, so we chose the Snowball. 
And ultimately, the format that we ended up going with is um, running two transfer, two snowball client agents on a single box, two boxes against a single snowball. Ultimately got us to a point where I, we were close to the max um, or the spec of the snowball itself. So we were getting about 360 megabytes per second. Um, and we were figuring the snowball uh, unit would probably get about 400. So we were pretty close. Um, and again, with all of our commodity hardware, it was relatively easy to just throw more at that um, to add, and add more snowballs as necessary. So now that we had chose the product, the next step was uh, send it over to DevOps and engineering and have them write some sequential scripts to kind of pull it all together. So two sides of the story, obviously we've got to get content out of Wyoming and really focus on what, what that would entail. And then on the other side, get it into Amazon. So in general, you know, we basically had to take you know, two and a half million files and just organize them by, by owner, um, you know, get one giant list together. Then from there, we chose, um, you can tell what we decided in terms of who won the battle of, you know, do we do it by client or we do it by efficiency? Because at that point, what we said was, you know, there's no way we can do it by client. Uh, that's just going to thrash the system. And, you know, all those tape drives are being constantly running against, you know, that full set of 6,000 tapes. And you're never going to get content out. So taking that list of files, optimizing it and ordering it by, by tape allowed us to have, you know, the highest capacity tapes up front and, we just started you know, restoring off of that. As I said, obviously, the next step, we've got to get those files off the tape library, restore them, put them onto the web. Verification, this is where we did a verification. We obviously have some checksum verifications that happen uh, you know, off of the tape hardware that's kind of integrated into the HSM, but we wanted to do media validation as well. We wanted to make sure that what people thought were actual video assets, media assets, were that. So um, we had our own custom um, media validation step. And then finally transfer the files onto the snowballs for, for shipment. At that point, there's a, an obvious break because now you hand it off to your local UPS or, or FedEx uh, and ultimately they get the snowball back uh, to Amazon. Now a key thing here that you know, we leveraged that's nice about the snowball itself is that you can tie it into a, an SNS topic. And so every step of the way uh, from receipt to pickup to receipt on the Amazon side to import. All of that is uh, an SNS, SNS topic you can get uh, either tied to an email or into a you know, programmable interface. So um, once it was imported into Amazon, um, we would then distribute it out to all of our client accounts, take a look at then doing a second validation, uh, again, media validation, to make sure that the file, once it got into the client's accounts, was still a media file. And then we would go ahead and flip the bit and change the metadata in our system so we could start leveraging that asset uh, from our workflows. And then finally, we just did a spot check to make sure that uh, you know, having an operations person go through our, our platform, restore that asset, have it transcoded or delivered, um, actually was doing what, we, what it should do. So that was ultimately the, product, the, the project. We ran a pilot here where we, we selected a cross selection of clients and their content, so some content uh, you know, small content, large content, uh, full libraries, partial libraries, anything you could think of, you know, to just kind of make sure that you test some of the parameters of your, of your project. Um, and then once that pilot was done and everybody agreed upon it, obviously there you go. Now next I want to talk about the fact that, you know, I want to step back a little bit and talk about the glacier effect, um, continuing on in the, in the, the pipeline here. So uh, if any of you guys saw Henry Zhang's uh, 
uh, sessions today or yesterday where they talked about you know the value and the, the efficiencies of S3 and the and the glacier as a storage class. You know some of this will hopefully resonate, but you know we we this really changed the game for us. Um, specifically, we were using Glacier as a storage class to Amazon, um, not as a vault itself, uh, because it really it mirrored our current HSM architecture uh, pretty closely, and and that was important to us because we needed to make sure that the user experience was uh, consistent. Uh, it wasn't going to help to actually do all this work and then, you know. Uh, make restoring of assets five times you know what it was before so that was key for us and really what did that was the expedite retrieval option that uh, in the in the uh, in the glacier restore um, that's really where we said hey this could be done um, so overall this ends up providing a nice little price performance option for our clients they can keep content on uh, s3 they can keep it on IA they can keep it in the Glacier uh, storage class, uh, depending on what their use cases are. So we committed at this point to do some parallel development to make sure that we built support for Glacier into our platform um, through the S3 interface. So that was a, a critical, critical thing for us. So obviously, uh, we got going on the project and wanted to share at least a little bit of the lessons learned. Um, so if you guys have similar projects that you kind of you know, don't go down the, the wrong directions, go down the right directions. So um, biggest thing here was keep the workflow moving. When you're dealing with trying to restore, you know, anywhere from, you know, we've gone from 25 to 40 terabytes a day, it's a lot of data moving through the system. So any downtime that you have of that workflow really adds up and it adds up quick. Uh, so, you know, you gotta be careful that over weekends, over holidays, when people aren't looking, you know, you just gotta make sure that you're, you're focused on um, make, uh, figuring out real quick when that, when that um, downtime happens. So it will happen, and when it does, what you gotta do is look to compensate. So one of the things we did was, you know, even though it was somewhat cost prohibitive to uh, do very large transfers over the wire, uh, we leveraged you know, smaller subsets of data to kind of fill in the gaps um, by either copying over the internet via you know, acceleration, um, multi-part upload, any of those con uh, concepts, as well as, you know, we had a direct connect between our, our data center and uh, Amazon to kind of help facilitate the, the compute migration. So leveraging that, again, would, would, you know, filter in another couple. So we could get, you know, anywhere from five, you know, maybe even up to 10 terabytes a day just through those parallel paths, um, just to make sure that, you know, we, we uh, keep the ball rolling. Um, don't starve the workflow. For, for snowballs. That, that's probably the big thing there from a logistics stance, standpoint. And when we got started, I think we, you know, we, we tried to do this, um, and we knew that we were rotating through these snowballs every couple days. And you know, so there's some neat features that you could do you know, with uh, the snowball SDK. I mean, you could have your workflow automatically tell um, Amazon to order you another snowball and get it shipped out. Um, we weren't quite able to get to that point, um, and we thought that you know, with the, the rotation of the, the units as fast as we were, that we needed to kind of have more hands-on. Um, but ultimately, you got to really be careful that you don't, uh, you know, accidentally forget to order you know your next set because you know, again, two or three days of downtime when you're talking 40 terabytes—that's a, that's a ton of ton of data. Uh, don't get distracted by the individual issues. You know, learn to learn to move beyond them. Uh, you might have a tape that gets stuck and everybody digs in and tries to figure out why that is 
and next thing you know, you've lost a half a day. And again, that, you know, that's, that's pretty painful. Um, so learn to kind of quickly move on from any issue and just kind of put it, you know, either set it to a parallel path or come back to it. Um, but at the same time, look for trends. So, you know, I, I put a, a quick image here of just the uh, simple graphing package that we had to, to kind of track what our, our, um, our progress was. And, you know, that, that allowed you to say, okay, are you still keeping up with your daily rates? Is there something that is impacting that you're not watching that all of a sudden your, your transfer in or out of the system on or off of the snowballs is starting to slow down? Um, so we've got this and in, in tied into our hip chat room and ultimately uh, is up on big screen so everybody can see it and everybody can uh, kind of track things. And then lastly, plan for failures. You're going to have hardware failures, logistical failures, um, you know, asset failures. So get the whole team involved, understand what's in, what you need to do beforehand, and then um, you know, quickly act upon it. Along with that, I think working with Amazon is really uh, one of the, the uh, other you know, lessons learned here. Um, the support team is great. You know, they'll help you through any issues with ordering, with uh, you know, um, any problems you have with the, the, the snowballs. Um, technical account managers and solution architects, really great, uh, giving advice on, on direction, what you should do, what you should think about, uh, what product to choose and why. And then, you know, the Snowball product team themselves are really interested in kind of making this a successful product. And so work with them as much as possible because um, they certainly want to hear your feedback. A quick summary in terms of what, we've, what we got out of this project. Um, from the snowball migration and the overall edge compute workloads, uh, we found that we were about 100 times cheaper going through these units than doing over-the-wire transfer. Uh, Greg had mentioned the fact that we, we do these events where, you know, for a very short period of time, call it a weekend, you know, a week to two weeks maximum, uh, you know, trying to get high bandwidth in there to do large transfers. You know, you're not talking about uh, 100 meg link anymore. You're talking about a gig links, you're talking about 10 gig links, and trying to do that for two weeks and order that up is just, you know, it's relatively impossible, or it's really, really expensive. So eliminating the need to do that for that content that's really not that high priority content uh, is super helpful. Uh, and for example, in terms of, you know, what performance gain we had here, in 2014, we migrated about 7 million assets. Now these were smaller assets, uh, they only added up to, you know, a quarter of a petabyte, but, uh, uh, it took about five months to transfer that over the wire. Today, we're looking at four and a half petabytes, and ultimately, our, you know, our target is relatively that same time frame. So, you know, we've really come a long ways in terms of being able to move content quickly. With S3 and general storage, you know, we're finding ourselves, you know, about 20 percent, 22 percent cheaper when you factor in, you know, all the the real costs of on-premise storage. Especially, you know, if you've made the decision of of moving out of a data center like we had. You know, you've got your maintenance and support, your refresh costs, your hosting costs, your bandwidth costs, all that, you, know, you pull that together, and, you know, it's, a, it's really a good story to actually get up into to S3. And I don't know about you, but, I mean, this is my favorite point, is that, you know, it's a better just-in-time provisioning model. So, you know, countless times I've had people say, can't you just add another hard drive uh, to the system? And I've tried to, like, take that and figure out how to actually communicate that to the CFO and the CTO and everybody and say, well, can I just go add another 100 terabyte chunk? You know, but, but that still is very difficult to kind of align with the business, uh, you know, when new business comes in or, you know, ultimately when you're planning for the year. It's just, it's, it's difficult to do. So getting away from that and being able to say, we're just going to pay as you go uh, makes it so much easier.
hopefully you've all experienced the continued price reductions that Amazon has on all their services, so that's always nice to have. That's a certain, certainly a, a great ad. Um, and so combine this all, and ultimately what we've seen is, you know, we now have a scalable architecture for our content that allows us to ingest much, much faster. You know, we're, we're seeing uh, Transco is peaking at like 50,000 assets a day. Um, and so that's, that's good for today, and it's our focus on, you know, how to scale that for tomorrow. As we said, we're also doing a compute migration, so, you know, relative to that, you know, we're seeing about a 60% reduction in our virtual servers, uh, leveraging EC2 and auto-scaling, uh, ELBs, ALBs, and, and the general load balancing options. Uh, combine that with our new architecture, and we really feel that, uh, you know, we, we're going to save the company a lot of money that way. Uh, post the migration, we're also, we still have a couple other, you know, efforts in our back pocket, namely, you know, working on reserved instances and spot instances, you know, to kind of bring costs down. Um, this all ultimately uh, allows us, in combination with our hosted service, uh, services that are on Amazon that we combine with this to increase our SLAs uh, via them and overall via, you know, for ourselves. And so um, that's really helped us. And even though it has been a bit of a, a challenge, I don't know how many of you have gone through it, but, you know, the DevOps and engineering teams are ramping quickly. It is a big difference going from an on-prem environment to a cloud environment. And so what that, what that ends up doing is, you know, now we feel that we've got this, you know, kindly, tightly integrated uh, system that has the combination of, you know, uh, Amazon-hosted partners and, and services running against uh, WASI product all on Amazon infrastructure. Um, so, you know, it provides a, a, a really robust experience from the upload uh, to the ETL and transformation and transcode to the orchestration and then ultimately to the, the front end user experience. So uh, it combines really, really well. So final thoughts on this, uh, what's next for us? Uh, ultimately, you know, we need to complete these migrations. So, you know, Q1 of 2018. Uh, we're hoping to have uh, storage and most of the compute migration uh, done. As in any project, you, you pull along a lot of tech debt, and so um, refactoring the applications that you brought up there that you had to lift and shift or you couldn't necessarily get up in the time frame uh, is going to be important. Uh, regionalization, so once it's one of the value adds of Amazon, obviously, is once you get up there, you can expand into the different regions and loved a lot of the, the announcements today in terms of you know, uh, regional support for, for databases and, and, you know, other services that's really going to help in that. Um, we did learn that ultimately optimizing the client onboarding is probably one of the next key steps. So we talk a lot about, hey, once it's in Amazon, uh, you know, it's a great user experience, we can do all these things, but then, you know, now people are saying, well, how do I get it there? So really focusing on taking these snowballs, uh, snowball edges, and hopefully someday, uh, a snowmobile and going to the client and saying, you know, here's an easy way for you to onboard your content to us. Just, you know, throw it on this native NFS mount in your system and ship it off to us. Um, those things are, you know, are, are going to be a critical focus for us going forward. And then, you know, lastly, just keep pushing scale. So, you know, there's bottlenecks in everything you do. Um, you know, that's why we're transforming into utilizing SQS and SNS for these message buses and these um, pub sub. Uh, scenarios, that's why we're using S3 for our scalability and, you know, the scalable uh, compute. Um, you know, it's one big workflow, so the, the better you can scale. Today's scale is, is going to be nothing for tomorrow, so. And that's it.